0: Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Handmade Network podcast. Uh, my name is Ryan Fleury. I'm joined today by uh, Alan Webster, who's been on the podcast a couple times. He's the creator of 4Coder. Um, and I'm also joined by Andrew Kelly, who's uh, the creator of the Zig Programming Language. And um, <clears throat> and the reason why we wanted to have uh, Andrew on the podcast with, with Alan is because For anybody who's not familiar, Alan and I are working on a project. We're interested in the idea of funding handmade projects, and um, Andrew's a good person to talk to about that because he's funding the Zig Programming Language project. Uh, And there's a pretty common dialogue in the handmade community of uh, business interests uh, interacting with software quality interests and how they sometimes conflict, and... um, It seems like a useful conversation to give to the community as well. Uh, So it's not just the benefit of Alan and I, but it's also the benefit of anybody who's looking to fund a uh, a handmade project um, and who doesn't really know where to start. So um, hello, guys. Thanks for for joining me. Uh, It's great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Hi. Yeah. So, Andrew, I wanted to get started by talking about the uh, Zig programming language project. So for anybody who's not familiar with the project, uh, can you just give us a quick overview of like uh, what the project is, what are its goals, why is it important to you, why is it maybe important to other people as well? Um, and we, we can start there and then we'll shift into the funding stuff. Yeah, sure. Uh, so
1: I started Zig five years ago. Zig is a uh, general purpose open source programming language and toolchain for maintaining robust, optimal, and reusable software. Uh, I think it's actually a perfect fit for your target audience of, of the handmade community because, I mean, you can you can really think of the Zig project as uh, let's start over, like C was pretty good, but made a lot of mistakes. Let's just kind of peel these layers of abstractions off and take a little peek underneath Maybe we just put them back just how they were, but you know, maybe we uh, you know, rotate some of them sideways or you know, fiddle with it a little bit before we put it back on. You know, take a look under the under the hood of what's been happening the last, you know, 30 years. Um, so I, I I do think that, that that resonate that that would resonate with the, the handmade manifesto.
0: <clears throat> Perfect. Yeah. So um and this this the entire project is I'm I I'm not actually even sure how you're funding it, which is partly what I wanted to ask you. So, uh, you know, it's a project you care about. It. It's meant to do a better job than C did. Um, uh, like that's the primary goal. The goal is not to make money. The goal is not to you know do anything like that. So, um, can you give me a quick overview of like how how did you make it work? How, how does it how does it function? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I can tell
1: my story. Uh, so cool.
0: f- yeah. from the very beginning,
1: uh, you know, I. I do love my my hobby projects, and I I definitely will write software uh, for fun and, and, you know, toy software. But even from the beginning of Zig, when people were calling it a toy programming language, I was thinking, you know, inside, I know it's not a toy. This is gonna be legit someday. Right. Um, So it it was always (laughs) the goal to actually succeed in taking over. That was always, from the very beginning, it was always the goal to actually win the language war. (laughs) Uh, So as far as I'm concerned, Mo- and this is just the foreshadowing part of the story but uh, money is a means to that end rather than the other way around um, right. so for the first i want to say two three years of the project uh, i was just moonlighting it so I, I i had a day job i worked on it at nights and weekends and um, i also did that thing where you know if you work in tech you can make some decent money and so i would i would save up my bank account would go up and then I would quit my job for a year, you know, work on Zig full time. <laughs> my bank account would go down and be like, oh, it's a little low. I better get another <laughs> job, you know. <laughs> so I, I did that for two, three years. Um, and then, uh, you know, and this is the funny part. I actually met, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at your face and your name just slipped my head, even though we just talked, we just introduced each other. I met I met you, Alan. I met Alan Webster at Handmade <laughs> <laughs> Seattle, the first one, um, and I was really impressed with the, the coder project at the time. And I noticed that he had a Patreon account, and it was making I don't know, it's like 700 dollars a month or something. Um, and I thought, yeah, holy, like that. Cool. is this PG thirteen? Uh, do, do whatever I you thought, want. I thought, holy shit, that is like. <laughs> i'm because in my head i'm thinking i don't need sustainable money i just need money so that i can quit my job for more longer before i have to go work again right (laughs) so i'm like 800 bucks a month that's like a lot of runway like that's already successful as far as i'm concerned Mm -hmm. so i I saw that and i was inspired and i i just like kind of paid attention to like what you did and how you interacted with the people who use your software and i like i just was like okay let's see if i can (laughs) try and do this too um and I think that so so this is kind of like part two. So part one was like straight up moonlighting. Part two is okay. Now I'm trying to do Patreon, and I'm still moonlighting, uh, but now I'm also starting to very slowly uh, get some some re- uh, recurring income, and it, it would go up. It would go up every month, super slowly. So this was for I don't know. I, I'm gonna get I, my years are gonna add up to more than five, but you know, for a couple years I did this. <laughs> And the thing is that there was never a spike. It was always a slow crawl. You know, even if I got to the top of Hacker News or Reddit or programming or whatever, it didn't matter. There was never a spike. It was just a slow, steady crawl, just just claw- crawling through the mud. Um, but the thing is you do it long enough and it it equals like a monthly salary, you know? So at, at some yeah. point I, 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 I crunched the numbers, you know, um, I, checked you know my runway versus like expected a conservative estimate of expected growth of the the patreon stuff and it was like i'm gonna my bank account's never gonna go negative like holy shit i can quit my job um so that was a that was a leap right that that was nerve-wracking but i did it and um best decision i ever made in my whole life because now i've been doing it full time for i think a year or two yeah that definitely doesn't add to five but you get the idea. So anyway, that's the story. Uh, so it's just a slow crawl, and and I can go into more details about like you know which what goes into every piece of that. But that's like the three parts to it, right? Straight up moonlighting, starting to take in recurring income, but slowly growing it, in, you know, in various ways, and then finally you take you know you take the leap from quitting your day job.
0: I see. Okay. Um, and these are people who. Uh, who are just contributing because they like to use the language for their own like little personal projects or what what what's the sort like what is the user base it's not user because they're paying like they're users of zig presumably but like what is the base of people who are paying this money like uh what is the
1: yeah that's yeah that's a good question so i never did i never actually participated in patreon's little little gimmicks like i never gave rewards or gotcha. anything like that it was always just this is free i'm doing this uh because I want you to have it there's no strings attached to this gift and if you like like you know please please yeah. support this you know so it's like I'm giving you the gift first and then asking for something in response where I don't even expect to get it and to be honest it's not as lucrative as some of the other tactics you know like if I just actually sold stuff I'd probably be making a lot more mm-hmm. income um, but it is a strategy that allows me to have just the kind of, I don't, I don't know what the right word to use is, but it's like, I have no strings attached to what I do and I attach no strings to the work I'm providing for other people. So it's like, uh, I don't know what what word I use to describe it, but I don't know, it's like a very pure relationship that I have with people who support me because I'm not asking anything of them and they're not asking anything of me.
0: Awesome. Yeah. That, that, that sounds like a pretty good situation to be in, uh, <laughs> uh, because I guess uh, the idea here is that the 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 goodwill of people who would like to see—I mean, it's it's partially goodwill because it's like a symbiotic relationship. Like they support, they pay to support you, keep producing Zig, um, but it's also just like people will pay for things that they'd like to see continue. I guess uh, instead of needing like the instant gratification of like a product or monthly rewards on Patreon or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I think that that people like to feel like they are participating in something that they feel is meaningful, yeah. and it, it, it is that you know. Like I, I, support a bunch of people, not just in programming, but um, in the arts, you know, musicians and like, animators and stuff, and I love it. You know, it brings me a lot of uh, a lot of pride to help perpetuate you know the, the art that, especially that otherwise I don't think would exist.
0: Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and Alan, do you want to jump in? Because uh, yeah, for cool. sure. Okay. Um,
2: so uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's been going through my head. I I was thinking about these kinds of things since I uh, like did the Four coder Patreon, and that was never a deliberate move. Like nothing I ever did with raising money for Four coder was a deliberate move. It was more so trying to pick the easiest way to get Forcoder in people's hands in exchange for enough money to keep making Forcoder, right and so i picked patreon and then i was like looking at it and i thought this is actually a really bad platform for distributing what i'm working on which is basically how i was using it and so i switched to itch and itch is like a pay once and then you can download it forever kind of deal which is more like selling it, and so I never was really in the situation where I was distributing it for free but asking for contributions. Even though that's some somehow what I was doing inspired Andrew to do what he's <laughs> doing. It's still not actually the case that I was ever doing that. Um, but I, I now I'm trying to pick, like pick, piece together in my head the ideas of like how does your source of money influence your, the quality of things you can make or the direction you can take things in. And, you know, there's, so one question for instance, is how does something work when you're working on a project like Zig, for example, where a part of what you're doing, I presume is you have the community contributing stuff like new libraries, open source code in Zig that helps other people use it or learn it. And do you think that that is so, do you think that that works better with the kind of funding model you're doing? Is there a relationship with that in the funding model at all? I don't know. I'm just curious. Since you're doing it, you're doing uh, really well with this kind of system. What you've learned in that regard, like you know, go. What's the most important thing about how the funding model influences the sorts of project directions you can take?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, just to like start out big and then kind of zoom in. Sure. Um, I think it is very useful to just think about money as an incentive structure and what it does influence people and businesses to do. So, you know, the simplest example that probably most people are familiar with is if you accept money as an employee, what kind of, how does that influence what you do? Well, you're just directly told what to do and you really don't have much of a choice. Like if you don't do exactly what your manager tells you, you might get fired. Like that's, that's like the most limited. Um, and then, you know, we can we can describe more you know loosey goosey ways of getting money, and then it, your options start to be more uh, um, you know more interesting. So, like if you're an independent contractor, it's a little different because now you have a client, and you're the expert, and you actually have a lot more say in how you implement a solution. Um, and that's true for programmers as well as other other kinds of vo- vocations. Um, so as far as like like your open source projects, like what we're trying to do, I think that there's, even within that, there's some kind of flexibility. So for example, you might have like one very big donor that's like 50% of your income and then a whole bunch of smaller ones that are the other half. And if you think about that, it's like, well, if you depend on that 50% of the pie, you do kind of have to keep that one person happy, right? Mm-hmm. But if you do, if you have a lot more smaller donors, um, you can just do what you think is right, and you'll you know you know that you're going to be fine. Because um, you know if you know if some people don't like a decision you make, but probably new people will join because they do like the decision you make. So it kind of evens out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I actually answered your question, but I think yeah, I think, I yeah, I think it's
2: it. it's fine because it's not a question that I know how to put a point on exactly to to get at what I'm trying to learn. It's more like I have a wide field of things I'm trying to piece together, and anything you throw out there to help me you know, wrap my head around some of these things that are interesting. So um, yeah. I'll try to like zoom in with a question about that. So uh, I brought up the idea that like you, you have a community that's contributing stuff back other than money, right? You are getting back like code from people who aren't getting paid. Is that true? Um,
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and actually some people who are donating are also contributing, right? Um, some of the most valuable con- uh, don't uh, contributors are also donating money so, which is kind of ironic because now i'm starting to offer independent contracting to some of the biggest <laughs> contributors and i actually gave clockable hours to someone
2: who's donating it's like well you're just getting your own money back <laughs> mm-hmm. like i don't know why you're still donating <laughs> right so yeah that's kind of like what i'm interested in like do you think like is there is it so I guess one thing that was weird with me with forecoder was that if I asked people for help, since I wasn't giving it away for free, I always felt like I should be paying them something, because otherwise I'm asking for free contributions to something right, I'm making money right. on and keeping for myself. I don't. I've never been in the situation where I asked for a contribution, but I was making money through donations only. Do you think that that relationship is like more reasonable though? That you can ask somebody for a contribution that they're not getting paid for but you're getting paid on donations rather than for profit like. Okay,
1: yeah, I think this is a super interesting question and I think I'm actually uniquely like ready to answer it because um, I, I feel like I'm kind of sitting in like, uh, like a cross between two worlds, right? Because like a lot of the handmade people come from making games and like trying to be indie uh, game developers. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've always wanted to do that but I've never tried it. I've never made money making a game. I just have hobby games. Um, but I have been involved in like just general open source stuff and in almost every company I've worked for has been a startup company. So the thing that, um, a lot of like handmade, uh, community members might not understand is that there's actually like in the other world, you know, like the intersecting world of open source, there is a whole, like, uh story happening right now. We're like, at we're at like a pivotal moment. Like we're in the climax of this story happening in the open source world right now, where um, like when open source kind of like got started, it was this cool thing where you're, you know, you're kind of like a wild west hero doing open source. And like, we're all going to be like hippies together and like save <laughs> the world. But then it got like super um, commercialized yeah. and com- like companies started figuring out like, oh, we can just exploit free labor. <laughs> And so they've been getting better and better at doing it. And so, I mean, there's an XKCD comic that someone who's listening is probably thinking of right now where there's, like, all this complicated software, you know, of the economy. But there's one little brick that's, like, some maintainer, you know, from, like, Arkansas has been, like, thanklessly maintaining for 10 years, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. holding it all together. So this is, like, an ongoing, like... You know dramatic story that's been happening like on Hacker News and like you know lobsters and all this other stuff like it's it's topical you know mm-hmm. so anyway the whole point of me going into that that tangent is that uh there's there's like these two camps right there's like just like people who want to participate in open source software because they feel like it's it's participating in something bigger than themselves and they love it. They love they love that, that they're giving a gift to humanity and that they're they're participating in a community and that they're building something together. They love that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other part where it's like, but wait, we're just like enabling all these businesses to like exploit our labor and like we're not getting funded. Like I'm doing this in my free time mm-hmm. instead of like spending time with my wife and my kids. You know, so this these like two Stories are like hitting each other right now. Um, so your question was: Is it ethical, basically, right. to accept contributions when it's basically volunteer labor and you're making money off of it? Yeah. Uh, and I guess my answer to you is: the fact that you are providing a tool that is free um, makes you like already like one of the good guys. Right. Because some of, some of like what some people are used to right now is like there's a product that you buy and a business is going to take the money for that. And they're like, you know, API or something that's a core component of this product is open source. And then they get people contributing to it. And then that's volunteer labor that's going into just like the pockets of shareholders. Mm -hmm. So like you are already like, like so far above that situation. Like that's not even comparable. Right. Um, anyway, that's the long answer. The short answer is I I want more open source contributors to be able to make a career out of it and and, and quit their day jobs and do it more. Um, with Zig, part of, part of the way I'm doing that is I actually am um, giving, so we have now six people on the payroll of Zig Software Foundation it's not enough for anyone to quit their jobs, but like, that's at least six people who are getting able to clock hours for the volu- other, what would otherwise be volunteer work that they're mm-hmm. doing. Uh, so for me, this, this is a really important topic to me because I want, I, I'm in the camp where I love open source and I love contributing to like, you know, this human humanity project where we're all doing it together. And like, I am so into that, but I want to make it not exploitative. And you're right, it absolutely is. Like people come in and they volunteer their labor and then and, and they don't even get anything for it. Like that's that's not the future I want to live in, um, but we're in like a whole situation that's like way bigger than this story. And your story in particular is like, you're clearly one of the good guys. <laughs> that That's my take on it. <laughs> I hope that answered the question.
2: Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, it's. That's an interesting thing to hear. Like, I, with with the fork coder situation since I was wasn't open sourcing anything, I couldn't accept help. And one thing we've been trying to ask ourselves is can we accept help just by saying like if we make the decision to not be for profit and closed, can we accept help? And it sounds like you're saying yes with like some care taken to making sure that that the things we're producing are actually open and don't end up being more about a particular corporation that takes over and t- gets all the all the rewards for the work that people are putting in.
1: Oh, I see. Sorry, I think I made uh, an incorrect assumption. Yeah. Um, is 4Coder uh, open source or you're thinking about it or? No, no, no,
2: I, we're thinking about, Ryan and I are thinking about what how to f- do Dion, right? How to set up right, the right, Dion right. funding. Four coder was not is not open source and it never was and I that's why I didn't have volunteers help unless, You're talking unless about they, yeah unless it. they volunteered without me asking and we're just like here's have some free code which has happened a couple of times but um, yeah we're talking about Ryan and I are trying to pick apart what we would do with the new project um,
1: yeah Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can I can give you a super clear answer. So you're, this question is not for Four it's for Dion. Obviously, sorry, that's I should have understood that. Um, so for Dion, you are planning on having it be open source, and you're wondering like, how can we consolidate, you know, contributions uh, with the fact that we're going to try to get money for the project? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So here's here's there's a super clear answer for this. It costs labor to to work on open source software. Everyone knows this. So the question is, how is the labor getting funded? And at this point where we are, everyone's asking this question whenever they depend on any software. And, and and you have to pay attention. Is the software getting funded by a startup company? Better watch out because they're gonna sell, you know, fucking Fitbit just got sold to, where Google? So now Google has all your Fitbit data, <laughs> right? Now if Fitbit was like open source hardware, open source software, nonprofit, and Uh, funded by donations that never would have happened so Mm -hmm. you would have someone who is worried about where their data is going to go will choose will pay attention to the funding model and and they'll choose the one where they feel like it's not having a a time bomb uh, fuse on it yeah so point being if you collect money for this project if you collect donations for this project that will be seen as a feature not a bug Mm-hmm. Because people will see that as sustainable, and you're not like you don't have like this fuse that's going to have some company swoop in and make everything shitty, yeah. So, so you're actually doing everyone a favor by asking for money and, and making it sustainable.
2: So, that's interesting. Um, I, this is kind of gets to a, a topic I wanted to see if this is more of a if you have this information in your head let us know because we don't and probably all the listeners will learn from it too not as much of an opinion question but what if you could like what's your outline of the difference between being not-for-profit versus being for profit because it sounds like you're saying which of those two things you are has signals whether or not you're something but you're something that somebody else can purchase or you know there's some there's no risk at all or it's much it's a much more assured to the user that we're not going to get purchased by google if we are open source and not for profit versus if we're open source and for profit or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's there's a whole there's a like a flow chart you can look at if you're a consumer and you're and you're concerned about the future, you are gonna tie your future potentially to this other project. You wanna be able to predict its future you know to some degree so you can know do I want to tie my future to it. Right. So there's a whole there's some different like levels of, of safety. The worst possible one is a venture funded startup. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. what that means is they borrowed a bunch of money or, or they took a bunch of money and sold ownership of their company to venture capitalists who don't give a flying fuck about you and they just want, like literally they just want money, right? Like mm-hmm. that's all, like the whole point is like pick the startup that's gonna succeed, buy it, and like hope that it gets to Facebook big and then they <sighs> cash in, you know, it's like gambling. Um, so worst possible scenario, venture funded startup. Like mm-hmm. you don't, You're taking a huge risk if you tie your future to one of these things. Okay, so next one, um, like mom and pop, uh, like LLC shop. You know, that's for profit, uh, but you know the owners. It's like, you know, I know Alan, he's cool. You know, he's a good dude. You know, he's not gonna, it's not gonna be irresponsible with my data or, you know, with, Mm -hmm. with my, the fact that my company like depends on Dion or something like that, right? It's like. I don't know, you know, maybe he could go through some hardship or he might get bored and he might sell the company to like Microsoft and then Microsoft does whatever they want with it. Like that's still a risk, you know? Um, but it's, it's much less of a risk than venture funded startup. And then for me, it's like, if you want to take it even, even further than nonprofit, because, uh, now you're not even allowed to make a profit. You've got a board of people who have to make, you know, make decisions. And there's just, there's like laws, that keep the, the business accountable that they're actually spending their money on the mission statement, rather than you know whatever you know like selfish things that the the people want to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm giving you a biased perspective because obviously, like I've made a choice, you know, with my own project. But that that's kind of like the the, the rough number line that I would that I would put things on.
0: Yeah. So, um, I have a question about that, which is, um, it's. Uh, make sure i didn't lose it <clears throat> um it sounds like what you were saying before is that when you're doing something for profit um it's potentially a better way to increase your personal income uh like you that's not necessarily for the good of the product but maybe it's if, if your goal is to make money that's a more direct path to making money um and the reason why i ask about that um there's an audio podcast so he was just nodding so <laughs> um but uh the, the 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 thing i'm wondering about is uh like possible hybrid models and we've talked about this a little bit with dion where um, like we both talked about it it seems like the worst possible thing for the format of dion without getting into the pro- detailed details of the project it seemed like nobody would switch to a closed format, closed binary proprietary format, where only certain tools are able to like open it and read it and stuff like nobody would ever want to build a project on that. Um, But the thing we've also talked about is like, okay, we can provide an open base, but what if there are things we can do to help fund the project on top of that, that maybe like maybe we sell add-ons to an editor that make it uh, better for certain things, um, which, which which would theoretically like fund the development of the entire thing. Like I'm I'm wondering about hybrid models. Um I don't know what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah,
1: I I think that so for hy- this idea of a hybrid model I think that it's it's probably worth exploring. It's not something that I'm actually going to have any uh, valuable feedback on you yeah, for Fair enough. Just cuz I'm I just kind of an extreme person <laughs> like I have this th- this path that I've chosen that I'm happy yeah. with. So I just I just haven't put that much thought into it but I can tell you that, you know, from someone who, uh, like, I do represent a certain kind of like target audience. So I can, I can at least kind of speak right. for this you know, demographic mm-hmm. of people. Uh, if I were evaluating, uh, such a, a hybrid, um, like a company or, or, or a project and, and I was deciding like how involved do I want to get in this, what I would be looking for would be, um, I'll be looking for like the flow of money. So it's like, I would be looking at the flow of money to try and predict the future of I the see. project. Hmm. So for something like Microsoft Windows, for example, it's like we could have predicted that there would be ads <laughs> in the start menu in 2020 because like they, it's a closed source operating system. They're not going to be able to sell like Microsoft Office anymore. Like what are they, now? There, there's no longer like Windows versions for you to buy. They're now just doing like rolling upgrades. Right it's a for-profit company. It's like, yeah, ads in the start menu. Anyone could have (laughs) predicted this. Right. Um, another example is Mozilla where it's like, they, I I don't know exactly how it works, but there's a nonprofit organization, but then there's also a company that like, I don't know, owns Hmm. it or something. But point being doesn't matter because like I said, with that pie chart, right, they were getting like 90% or something like this of their income from Google for like defaulting to their, their search, uh, search engine Mm -hmm. so and that's advertisement money so it's just like it's ad money it's google money and it's a big slice of the pie so it's like even though even though they were a nonprofit, you can predict the future and here it is like they just laid off a whole bunch of people like servo got nerfed um like firefox just basically doomed (laughs) like it you, you could have seen this coming right just by looking at where the money's coming from anyway point being i think that probably it would be valuable for you to look into the hybrid thing and then from my perspective people like me would just be looking at where like the money kind of skeptically and be like does it seem safe like does it seem like does it seem healthy like are, is the money coming from a healthy place that would be kind of the question i would be asking as a consumer mm-hmm. i
0: see interesting yeah that, that makes sense I know
2: if- okay um so I'm, I'm still digesting this concept a little bit of of the flow of money but i think i think it makes sense the the other thing that I think, like, um, I guess, I guess, what I'd love to have a handle on is what's the. Um, like there's two main things in my brain still, and I'm hemming and hawing between which one to go for. Sorry, but uh, one of them is what is. Uh, so, so Ryan brought up the the idea that there's a potential to get more money out of a funding model that is more closed, so possibly less healthy in the way you were just describing. Uh but ideally you want to like or rather what we're thinking about is we want to have at at like at a certain time we want to have enough money to fund however much work we're trying to do right so if we're looking at like this is when we'll be able to have you know all three people who are currently on the team working on it full time this is how much money that would take how do we get there kind of thought process um what i have no like grasp on is how much how much can you expect? Like, what is the ratio you could expect for a for profit versus not for profit? You kind of outlined like it took a couple of years for Zig to grow, and it's probably impossible to predict from one project to another. But like, I'm trying to get a feel of like how is it really grueling to make money free like through contributions, or does it actually work fairly well? And you like is your opinion that that would scale to really large teams if it needed to? Like, what do you think about that kind of thing?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I think I can answer this. Yeah, so. I don't think it would scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I am comfortable with it because I am comfortable keeping it. To, I guess the, the the team small. I guess mm-hmm. I mean there's obviously a lot of contributors, but most of them are volunteers. Uh, so I will say that the I I don't I don't spend a lot of time trying to get more money like mm-hmm. uh, like fundraising. I I do spend most of the time doing technical stuff. And it's just enough of a flow that it's good enough and I'm happy with that. But I will say that the, the growth of interest in the project, like the the amount of new contributors and and people downloading it and and getting involved is outpacing new income. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to hire, you know, 10 full time people and pay them like a, a, like a reasonable salary, I don't think my model will work for you.
2: Interesting. Yeah, we just to be clear, we have no idea what exactly our timeline is. We're just trying to get yeah. get the map of what um, what I is and is not possible in various directions. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think if you want to grow really slowly, uh, but like r- maintain a lot of control over the project, uh, my model will work for you.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. That makes sense. I, and I guess it's sort of it's intuitive to me the idea that over time the more interest or the more um like if somebody's looking at a project and they see uh i don't know if like they could see how much you're making or something like that but if they're like oh look this dude's fine he's got like two grand a month or whatever i don't need to donate and i can still use the project versus if they see it's like ten dollars a month or something on patreon or whatever uh they're probably more likely to to like uh try to support it if they really like it so i it kind of makes sense that there's like this fall uh like interest grows probably not linearly but you know it kind of has a curve and then that kind of subtracts from the the uh willingness to pay money curve or something like that so you can only go to some like some length along the x-axis before you can't before uh before uh i guess that income curve doesn't scale to like however many people Hmm. if that makes sense
1: yeah i wonder i don't actually know what the the psychology is behind that you know on on what people being willing to donate or not. Mm -hmm. I do know that there's a thing where if there's an empty tip jar, people don't want to put money in, but if it's like seeded a little bit. Interesting. Mm Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to start a new one, you know, get some friends and family to
2: jump
0: on (laughs) board.
1: So
2: so this is uh, on the note of how the psychology works. I have no idea, but what I do know is that the, the fundraising that hits me the most sharply every time is Wikipedia. I don't know. if if that's true for everyone else but i always feel like oh, i really ought to give them a dollar whenever whenever <laughs> i see the thing that asks for it um, but the thing is
1: you spend so much time getting actual value from it mm-hmm. that when they do ask for money you're thinking oh yeah i really do value that yeah. right
2: mm-hmm. yeah for sure
1: so they they've kind of earned your your gratitude mm-hmm. like
2: through hard work for sure yeah yeah that's a good point so there's definitely something to be said for the quality of what you're doing and like how well it how much it it relates to the person's like how much they're actually getting out of it I guess. Yeah Um, I I, I really think that the like the for me at least the the name
1: of the game is just persistence you know like it's just it was just a trickle but the thing is it's recurring so mm -hmm. it it, it's like a bucket that keeps filling up and filling up and it's and eventually it's enough. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It just takes years but you'll get there.
2: Yeah. Uh, Okay, so the other question that I like—it's a different fork—but so you mentioned that like when you set up a not-for-profit, you have a board and stuff. How, how much? I don't know if it's an interesting topic, but if anyone besides us hears this someday and wants to have the same information, could you give us like a little like snapshot of what that kind of process was like? Oh yeah, I can give you a quick uh, (laughs) United States nonprofit overview. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. So first of all, you're swimming upstream, like for some reason, like nothing is designed to be good for you. It's like even the banks are just like, why are you starting a profit? Don't you want money? It's like, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's fine. That's just like a little thing where you're like, huh, I'm a weirdo. Okay. Um, but anyway, so yeah, you have a board, uh, it depends on the state. How many is the minimum? Some states, actually the board minimum is one. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I did it in New York. The minimum is three board members. So, um, yeah, so I have three board members and you, there's a rule about you, you, how often you have to have uh, board meetings in mm-hmm. New York. It's uh, once a year, at least. And you assign a president, treasurer, secretary. Um, they do have legal power. So, like, I could be ousted. Like, if Mason and Josh were like, that guy's gone rogue, we got to <laughs> get him out. They could, they could legally kick me out. Like, that's mm-hmm. for real. Um, then what else? I hired a lawyer to do like all the paperwork, uh, best five grand I ever spent in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) and then like, that's just done. What else? That's about it. It's a lot of little chores, but it's totally manageable and Mm -hmm. takes a little bit of capital too.
2: Okay. So yeah, that's, I, I've, I've. I've had in my head that it's a, like a long process that requires lots of like validation or something. Like you have to prove to the government somehow that you're actually working, functioning as a nonprofit. And I've, in my head, oh, built right. that up as a super laborious process, but I don't, yeah. Getting an idea of that as not a problem is You gotta
1: helpful. have uh, a mission statement. Ah. Yeah, here, I'll read you the uh, Zig Software Foundation mission awesome. statement, it's short. The mission of the Zig Software Foundation is to promote, protect, and advance the Zig programming language, to support and facilitate the growth of a diverse and international community of Zig programmers, and to provide education and guidance to students, teaching the next generation of programmers to be competent, ethical, and to hold each other to high standards. Um, If it sounds familiar, it's because I just copied it from Python (laughs) and then added the part about students. Uh, So I I figured that um, just basically Python, uh, yeah, Python Software Foundation is already established. So if I just basically use them as a template, the IRS will go like, oh, we've seen this before, like rubber stamp. And I think it worked. So that, that's how I got through. Awesome. Yep, so that's all you gotta do. And then, yeah, the, 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 and that's, so then you basically, every once in a while, the IRS is just like, okay, like, do we think that this company is operating in good faith? Like, have they spent the money on their mission statement? Yep, okay, cool. They get to keep their non, non-taxable non status.
0: And that's it. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. see. let um, what what One of the things that I was curious about as well is um, how the, the, there was some, I don't remember, like I'm not, I don't interact with open source software pretty much at all. Like if you go, if you look at my, I guess it's weird to use like GitHub as an example for, various reasons but uh if like if you looked at my history it's like 99 percent commits or something like I, I do like nothing else i just add to my own project or contributions to my own repositories or whatever and um so I, I don't know really but uh the um the thing that i was curious about there was there was some conversation about it at some point but there's like a there's like extra work associated with doing open source management. Like you have to look at things that people try to contribute. There's people who are probably not bad actors necessarily, but maybe they're just people you don't really want contributing anything back. Obviously you have the ultimate say, but it's effort yeah. to read. It's effort to do all that stuff. I want to get a picture of what that looks like in this. Yeah. Oh <laughs> okay. yeah.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
0: There's uh, there's a whole spectrum
1: of actors. Good, bad, <laughs> okay. and in between. Right. Uh, and... You're right. It's a ton of work. I mean, I honestly, it's it's over forty hours a week at this point for me just to manage pull requests. Wow. Okay. Uh, people so patches coming wow. in. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a lot of work. It really is. Um, you, if you want to do you know a proper open source project and and help, uh, like if you do value helping other people do you know the contributions that they want to mm-hmm. do and, and solve their use cases that's a big chunk of your time now i will say i really think it's worth it um for for zig i will say that the some of the most valuable contributions have come from people who uh, come from just people who saw the project got involved did a bunch of work um some of the people that i the zig software foundation is now paying money to do more contracting they came in through just start, you know, doing contributions just because they were they wanted to get involved. Um, there are major components of Zig that I could not have done on my own, you know, like h- huge components. Um, like I, for example, I started uh, I started the self-hosted backend recently. Um, mm-hmm. th- it doesn't use LLVM at all, and I just did x 86 64 ELF to get started mm-hmm. uh, Linux. And, um, Alex Nask came in and did the portable executable format. Uh, Isaac Friend came in and did the WebAssembly. Uh, Jakub Konka did the Macho, the Mac OS backend, and figured out how to get it to work on, uh, the the code signing on the new Macs. Um... Uh, Frank uh, Dennis came in and did like completely took over crypto and is just like rocking it I don't even I'm not even qualified to like understand some of the work he's doing Uh, and then Joachim Smith came in and did uh, 64-bit ARM and then he started working with Jakub and they got 64-bit ARM macOS working
0: nice
1: I didn't even do anything (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I mean, okay, by not doing anything, you know, I spent over 40 hours a week merging <laughs> pull requests and helping people get their contributions in and, like, writing documentation and, like, doing all that work, right? But point is, like, it's worth it, you know. It's, like, it, if, if you want to have that kind of project, you know, where you get people involved and you do it that way, I really think it's worth it. And it, it, uh, the rewards are immense, you know, it, not just, like, in technically, but just in terms of, like, the bonds that you make and, you know, the, the, the community that you that you create. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay, so that just um, that just put two new questions in my brain. So we'll see um, how unpacking them goes. But basically, I'm curious about I and Ryan. Neither of us have ever been in the position of managing a group that size at all, um, let, and also not in the position of managing it in the, an open source uh, like me, via an open source method where it's not like going or sh- recruiting one person or hiring one person. to to work with but rather people finding you and and showing up to contribute and so one thing like one thing that i think would uh be really interesting to know about is how does that how does being in that situation change your technical strategy because when i'm by myself i can kind of just sit down and be like here's how i'm planning out to do this module or just this component or whatever. Do you find yourself when you're planning something out thinking more along the lines of I'm going to write this in this particular way because it'll make it easy for contributors to make all these other variations of the thing I'm making, or is it not that important? Like, how important is the fact that you're managing all of the other people to the no, technical yeah. decisions?
1: You're you're dead on, and the fact that you had that idea just from like thinking about it for the first time is mean, like a good hint that you might be good at this uh, at this role. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, you're absolutely right. So, um, like, what I've found myself I think of it like spinning a web where I just kind of like find the ends of things and do like a proof of concept or a skeleton or, uh, you know, it's like I have this idea. And I know it can work, and it's a, it's a lot of work to complete. But what I can, I can I can I can do the skeleton. I can make it so that it's obvious how to contribute. That's it's exactly what you're saying. Hmm. And yeah, it's really it's a, it's a really valuable tool. The only problem is that like you do that, and then it actually does inspire people to to contribute. And then you're like, oh, I'm drowning in
2: pull requests again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, what's an example of that? Like, what's something you you can do, You can get like, if you want to, you can get specific on an example, if that makes it easier. But like, what's something that makes it easier? Like I, I can, I've kind of tried to write example code before to help somebody read it and understand what they need to learn from it or something. But trying to think about code as doing anything other than communicating to the compiler is something I haven't really practiced. So I'm curious, like what's just one good example of something you can do that makes make your work a skeleton for other people to flesh out? Oh yeah, that's a
1: great question. Okay, yeah. So the good news is that you, it's very comfortable um, because it's still just talking to the computer, it's still just doing code. Um, it's just like a different. Uh, it's like vertical instead of horizontal. It's mm-hmm. like a depth. Uh, sorry, breadth first instead of depth first. You mm-hmm. know. So for example, uh, one thing that I will do a lot of, I, I can use the exact example I just gave, right? I just sure. listed off a whole bunch of contributors who helped with the uh, self-hosted compiler, right? Yeah. The thing is, though, before everyone came in, I went off and did this whole thing where I wrote all the pieces of the compiler, and then whenever you tried to use like 64-bit ARM, it would just say to do, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you tried to if you tried to make an EXE, you know, like a Windows EXE, it would just say to do implement Windows support, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so then people play with the code and they see this error message, and it just invites them. They're like, well, oh, maybe I could tinker with this. Like, oh, I wonder, mm-hmm. like, what would it take to, you know, add Windows support? Uh, like, it, it, you're going to hook people, you know? Interesting. Yeah. So just helpful error messages, basically, that, that, that are uh, just begging for a contributor to come in and take a look, you know, and see why there's an error here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That makes sense. I think there's, it seems like there's also this other half of this, which is that you need to, there needs to be, like, some basis of a community, like, you you have to be able to interact with these people, presumably not just through pull requests, like, they have to be, they probably have to feel invested not only in the tech of the project, but also in, like, the community personally, with the creator, uh, other community members, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I'm sure you've, like, I'm pretty sure there is a zig I think there's multiple Zig communities I've heard. I don't know the story there, but I'm I'm assuming it's a huge part of the picture.
1: Yeah, I mean once again you'll find people on the whole spectrum. So um some people are really happy just doing issues and pull requests and that's their you know, that's their happy place and that's that's where they that's where they live. And some people uh, are the opposite. You know, they're hanging out in the discords or you know IRC or whatever, and they mostly just chat and have fun and you know just share memes or whatever and don't even do that much code. But they're still part of the community. You know, they're still part of like the all, all all the goings on. And then you'll find people every, everywhere in between. Uh, and the, I mean, the good news is if you just get out of people's way, they'll do it themselves. Um, so, for example, like you were kind of hinting at this, Ryan. So. I, I, I didn't make like a Zig Discord. I just put, like on the Zig homepage, it says like, oh, click here to see the community. And it's just like a wiki page that says, there is no community, make your own. Like it, it's a, fa- a free for all, like go nuts. And there's multiple discords, there's an IRC, there's like a telegram that I've never been to because it's all Russian, you know, it's just it's just everything, you know. And, um, but but people might not have done it if they thought like, well, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to like, you know, step on anyone's toes. So it was kind of like the invitation to just go for it. Like people were thinking, oh, okay, cool. I'm just going to do it then. Hmm. Um, But anyway, point being, I think that if you, I don't think you have to worry about trying too hard on the community because all you have to do is make something really cool. And people, I mean, if you build it, they will come, right? As long as you just don't like scare people away.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: So, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Do you, um, like, do you, ha- do you find that you have to put in a lot of work? I, you've already mentioned that 40 hours a week is what goes into managing the pull requests. But is there, like, some amount of your time that goes into just communicating with the community? Like, you you didn't necessarily organize it. Do they? Does that make it harder for you to set a direction of what's going to happen next? Or do you find that that's not very important for you to do? Or I don't know. I'm curious, like, um, yeah, I, I, in my head, I'm imagining a community taking off and then because of the massive size of the community and the, you know, the fact that you have, you know, just yourself to try to direct the project, how much does that take away control do you feel? Or does it not actually like, is, do you feel that it doesn't really have anything to do with how much control you have or what? I I don't know.
1: Um, you're, you're asking about if the sort of like decentralized nature of uh, like
2: gathering spaces takes away control. Yeah, I guess kind of, I, I mean, like, do, yeah that's that's I more s- or less what I'm asking yeah sure
1: okay feel free to ask it like in another I'm way not really, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll try, I'm not I'll try really sure how
2: to, how to refine it yet so go ahead and answer that okay. and I might refine it if I yeah yeah okay out how.
1: um so I do think that so I don't hang out in all the spaces I hang out mostly in IRC and a uh, couple of the discords mm-hmm. uh, you know poke my head around just have fun or chat or show off some stuff or whatever I do think that just because I'm so involved in the project, like the the places I choose to hang out will feel more official to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as control goes, so I don't moderate either of the discords. I moderate the GitHub, the IRC, and the Reddit. I would love to stop moderating the Reddit. Uh, I hate (laughs) moderating. (laughs) Um, But where was I going with this? Oh, control, right. Control is an interesting word. I maintain control of the design of the language, uh, like, you know, BDFL style. Um, I don't try to control the community. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that would look like, you know? Um,
2: yeah. I mean, so mostly I just focus on controlling the design of the language. Yeah. And, that's that's kind of the yeah. part that I'm interested in because, like, in my head, I'm thinking, I mean, maybe that's what the 40 hours of managing pull requests means. but. I'm thinking if the the size of the community is growing and they're not even always in the same space as you're in, so they're not hearing from the direc- you in the direction you think you're going, do you end up getting lots of code that has nothing to do with where you want to go and you are oh, fighting with, like yeah. oh, that's not really what this project is about kind of issues? Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I understand your question now.
1: Yeah, okay. So let's consider another project, um, Rust. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rust is a project that I am actually really impressed by in a lot of ways. And one of the ways I'm impressed by it is the fact that they actually have some kind of a democratic leadership system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that doing that is extremely difficult. And the fact that Zig, for example, has BDFL, it, it, me, is, it's just a hack, right? It's a hack because democracy is hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and But anyway, the point is like Rust is actually, like, like I say that the Zig community is decentralized and like sure it is, because anyone can just do whatever they want. That's just always true of everything. Um, but the, the design process of Zig is centralized around me, and the, but the design process of Rust is actually decentralized. It's actually democratic. Hmm. I don't know if it's decentralized, it's democratic. Uh, and and part, of the, part of the reason that these things are different is that Rust is a much bigger, uh, more complicated project with a lot more parts that like, one person would not be able to understand. Whereas I've at least tried to keep Zig enough that it can fit in my head. Um, And so the answer, the, the, the yes or no answer to your question is yes, it all goes through me. Um, Mm -hmm. I am the bottleneck of all contributions. And that being said, there are six, seven, eight people who have uh, commit permissions and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're trusted to merge pull requests, commit to master, do all these things. Um, but I will go and read every line of every change, you know, if mm-hmm. someone pushes code to master. And part of the reason that I'm saying it takes me so long to merge pull requests is I am keeping the whole project in my head. And part of the way that I maintain control is doing that. It's just doing the hard work of having yeah. it all in my head at the same time, all all the time, constantly. Yeah. So I don't know if that's, like, that, that, that strategy, obviously, would not work for Rust, it would not work for C++ um it would work for some smaller projects whether that's the like whether you go that direction or you take a more like democratic approach Mm -hmm. i think that's an interesting question
0: and i don't actually have like a a suggestion for you I, i i think it um to a degree that sounds like it influences the quality of the actual project too um uh you know depending on who you ask understanding your tools is a really important part of using them effectively and i think it also is probably important when you're trying to predict the future of the tool as you were talking about earlier. Um, if if the community turned a, a direction that you didn't know, like the Rust community turned a different direction, they started voting a different way for various features that uh, makes certain use cases worse, um, you just kind of be screwed because there's no way you could replace the entire community. But if there's one, I mean, not to say one person could replace like all of Zig or anything like that. but uh, understanding it, I guess, is probably valuable um, in that way, because if you have this massive, like, uh, language that's growing all these warts in all these different directions, like C++, you, th- that's, like, that's how it is. Uh, so it's probably, I would imagine it's a benefit to have it small and simple and um, not not growing in too many directions, if that makes sense.
1: There, there's there's clearly some some upsides, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um... I can keep the vision just ironclad you know like it's been the same vision for years and it's never changed and there's there's upsides there although I I mean I have to give credit where it's due because like there's a bus factor right like uh, and I mean if you're if you're just a person evaluating and you're like well this one person could just go crazy or change their mind versus like a whole horde of people that are probably going to move more slowly I mean the Mm -hmm. horde seems like more more of a safe bet to me i mean just as devil's advocate to myself mm-hmm. so i mean in my mind there there needs to be a transition plan where like at some point like i've done enough enough like design work on zig that it's like done mm-hmm. and i can sort of yeah. like set up some self-sustaining thing that doesn't involve me and that will be success uh but not quite there yet
2: i mean um yeah I, i'm gonna this isn't necessarily um a question so it's uh yeah, I don't know if there's a, a useful a useful follow-up from this thought, but I was thinking about what Ryan is trying to get at, and it's something him and I have a lot of conversations where, where we don't end up getting to discuss them with anyone else, and this is hitting right on something that I feel like I've learned a lot of by working with Ryan all the time, and I think we both learned it together, which is that like the more you can get, uh, get out of a tool that is small, the better off you are because... Uh, there's sort of like if if you could imagine that writing a compiler got to the point where we were so good at it, like we had so many years of iteration on techniques and strategies to the point that one person could do it in a semester, and it's just it's nothing. It's, that's just an easy thing for us to do. Then I don't think things like Rust would happen anymore because everyone would know, oh, that we can get any programming language we want up in this much time. Now, getting there, if that's even possible, is really really hard. But the sort of the drive to make to get more out of less weight seems like the only way progress really can like latch and and, and ratchet up or I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, besides like you wanna to get to a point where it doesn't take more bodies to get a little bit better. You kinda of wanna get more out of less. Yeah. And it sounds like like you're saying there's a way to do open source where you get more out of less in the sort of rust versus being the more and you being the like getting more out of less yeah. direction of open source yeah
1: yeah i think i i think i get the essence of it, what you're saying there yeah I, I there's even another angle that i thought you were going with it mm. which is like i for me part of like what handmade means to me is that i want to make software that is like rock solid bricks that are done. Yeah. And it's like, this is now a brick that I can use to build up my software house mm-hmm. and I never need to change it. Or maybe, you know, like a little thing, but it's just like, that's it. That's just a building block. And yeah. then I want to build like a perfect castle out of these <laughs> bricks. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but i feel like a lot a lot of modern software is never designed to do that it's like uh, you know mo- it's like modern light bulbs or appliances where they're like designed to break so you have to buy a new one <laughs> yeah. it's the same it's the same fucking thing with software like we're just churning totally. out like apis and then the apis call out mm-hmm. apis and then it, what is it graphql <laughs> and it's like docker and just throwing
2: everything together it's like yep.
1: no, no i just want my bricks and i want my nice silly yeah. house it
2: seems like a lot of effort is put into A lot of effort and the things that end up falling apart is put into, like, how can we recover from things falling apart all the time more quickly? Mm -hmm. Like, how can we make it, like, uh, possible that if we change the API this way, then all the other APIs keep working because it's all JSON protocols or something? And if we add in this extra layer of slop here, then we can do these transitions rather than being like, hey, if we studied the problem hard and did a good job at it here, it kind of is hard to argue that this would last us for 20 years and we wouldn't have to touch it. Um, yeah and yeah i feel like i've always imagined i think a part of the handmade space has always imagined that like open source means doing the craziness everything is sort of chaotic and you have to keep on repatching things to keep everything working right. and trying to think about it uh, about ways that something could be open source but like carefully crafted is yeah it's it's a new sort of um uh n- What's the I'm looking for? Like mentality to try to build up, I yeah. think. For me at least. Okay. I bet it's a part okay. of the community a lot. You're
1: gonna you're gonna hate this, but I think I know why this is happening. Like okay. for real. Mm-hmm. And it's the flow it's the flow of money again. Okay, hear okay. me out. If 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 people weren't trying to make a profit and we were writing code because we were trying to make these bricks, right? We were just trying to make handmade software, and that was the goal. The goal was the user experience the whole time. Never profit. Mm-hmm. Okay. We wouldn't have this much churn. We would have focused on, like, everyone would be trying to make these bricks. That's what everyone would be trying to do. But That's not what they're trying to do. I can give you an example. Uh, chat. There is no good chat <laughs> app for a, for a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all speak a different protocol. It's not federated. Like, email is federated there's decent email apps and you can send an email from, you know, Google, Gmail to Microsoft, or you can send an email to at ziglink.org, and I just run that on a computer. That's no company there. Um, but with chat, it's like, people are like, oh, is there like a Zig API for making a Discord bot? And it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's never gonna end, right? Like what's mm-hmm, the yeah. next company? Like Discord's a for-profit company, they're gonna get bought, then they're gonna get shitty, then there's gonna be like new Discord 10.0, like, <laughs> 20, 20, 30 yeah. or whatever. And, and people are gonna wanna make bots in that software. And it's like, it's never gonna end. Like, because yeah. the goal is never, the goal was always profit. It was never make good software. Yeah. That's that's my, uh that's my rant.
0: I think, <laughs> yeah. I think there's a technical axis. And Alan mentioned, this is how I conceptualize the, at least the technical part of the conversation. I think like the Discord thing is such a good example my mind's on the technical side and alan put this like a super good way the other week probably where um he said correct me if i'm wrong but uh you said something like um when you hit when you when you solve a problem with a very complicated solution or very like massive you know high maintenance sort of solution that is the last and final problem you'll ever solve um at least with the same amount of manpower like maybe you could like Gather an army of ten thousand programmers yeah. and be like, throw like VMs and ten different programming languages. Like, do whatever you need to to keep this working. But um, yeah. keeping things simple avoids that problem, so that you can always push past the next horizon. Uh, so you are never yeah. like, yeah, I can't can't implement the next feature because this one's in the way. And the the example you gave, I think, was four coders like virtual white space. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't, yeah. It's it's. That's basically exactly
2: the way I would phrase it. The thought was like when you're going along sort of like layering features on top of each other, making them sort of try to be orthogonal so that different things can be used in different ways and can compose to make whatever systems you need out of them. If one of those layers along the way gets to the point where it's so complicated that, that you're scared to make changes to it and it's the kind of thing where, you know, it, it it's hard to even debug because you forget every time you start debugging it how all the pieces fit together. Then, if someone asks you hey could like in forecoder's virtual white spaces like this where however i've tried to implement it it always ends up a little bit more complicated than i feel comfortable changing afterwards if someone then says oh it'd be really cool if we also did like you know layout of the characters that was between spaces that aren't the indentation and i'm just like there's no way i can do that because everything will break again but it'll be even worse the next time and this is it this isn't the wall in that direction that i can go in until i find a way to do it in a simple small way that lasts forever um like yeah and i think the other thing ryan threw in there is right that the scaling to lots and lots of people is sort of it's sort of what you do to to keep pushing a little harder And it's why it's probably, yeah, why there has to be churn too, because you eventually, you've made something too complicated. Someone else comes along and it's like, well, I can make this thing that's too complicated, but does both things we need. And then you get enough people doing that over and over again, and you have lots of features, but you have to do the churn to keep adding more because none of them are actually solved problems. They're all just complicated effort going into keeping them working. And an effort and solutions are kind of two different ways to get past a wall.
1: Yeah, I like that analogy. That 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 really speaks to me. And like when you were saying that, I was like thinking about like the parts of some of the like Zig codebase where I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely a wall right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 It, solving those is the is the really good part. It's like the it's the interesting part because when you when you turn a wall into like oh this is just easy now, that's how you know you've solved something real rather than just throwing lots more effort at it. Um, but it's not always it's not always possible or within your own skill set to figure out the solution to hard things like that so yeah when you,
1: when you finish one of those projects and it succeeds that's when you like get out of your chair and you just start pacing around the mm-hmm. room with a big grin on your face <laughs> yeah. you know uh-huh
0: yeah yeah and and i think that there's also a point of if if something requires 10,000 people to maintain um coming up with an adequate like replacement or alternative well an alternative is like a better solution so you could just like completely introduce something alternative but um, there's no way to like get away from those 10,000 people and have the freedom of like the lone developer sitting in their room uh, like uh, me and you know me I think of myself in like high school like not doing my homework and just like oh just like rapidly expanding code bases out into different directions um, that can no longer happen in that space uh, because there's no rapid like it's almost like you're when you start with like a fresh project from scratch you're like on this flat plane where you can move any direction but that's like a mountain that's like ever ever increasing like the slope is increasing all the time so it's like yeah i'd love to go over there but i i can't fly so i just gotta keep like inching up this mountain kind of thing
1: well, that's so funny that you mentioned uh, mountain climbing as an analogy because uh, I made this like a zigzag thing, <laughs> okay. which is just like you know statements of vague philosophical you know ponderings. Okay. And one of them that I put in there is avoid local maximums. Okay, yeah.
0: Mm-mm.
1: You know what I'm talking about, where there's like a, gl- right. a local maximum, and then like a global maximum. Like that's the mm-hmm. mountain, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is like if you're if you're if you're halfway up. A small mountain, but you realize you actually want to be on the big mountain next door. You got to start going yeah, down right. the mountain. Yeah, you can you Don't keep going, don't keep going up the small one. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yep. yeah, yeah. I don't know if Alan. I don't know if you had anything else. If if not,
2: I could. I've gone through all the questions I've written down, and we found more when you brought up the open source thing. I realized that's also stuff I have questions about. Cool. But I think, I, yeah, I, I, I think we've exhausted the things I haven't thought about cool. on open source that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, I don't know, what about Andrew, do you have, are there any things about this topic that we haven't talked about that we ought to make sure are out there for everyone?
1: Oh, there was one thing I was thinking about. Um, okay, so I, I don't know like when, at what point you'll be at this point in time, but um, So for me, for me, I did Patreon, I did GitHub sponsors, and then I started to get enough money where I uh, was able to quit my day job and then I got a little bit more money and I was thinking about hiring someone for the first Mm -hmm. time. And I, I don't know what, I didn't know what I was doing, but what I did end up doing, I think was the best decision I ever made, which was I hired someone from the community, uh, who had already demonstrated a drive. Uh, leadership, cunning, uh, just like interest, like, uh, internally motivated interest, uh, the guy named, uh, Laurie Crow. he, he was doing like Zig Showtime just on of his own accord, just for fun or, you know, for whatever reason. And, um, I said, Hey, you know, I'm looking to make the first hire here. I can't offer full time work, but, um, and, the, uh, and to be honest, the first job I need is someone who's like main thing is to like raise money and we talked and he was interested and and he came on board and with a little uh, the thing in the thing though is that i didn't just say like here's the role like will you do it it was more of like hey let's see if we can come up with something that's mutually beneficial mm-hmm. um and because i already knew that he had all these traits and he was already demonstrating that he was a perfect fit for this this person, all I wanted to do is just say like, "Hey, do you want more like officialness and money?" <laughs> and mm-hmm. so he was on board, and he actually picked his own title, like in the company, like VP of Communication. Um, he, I didn't, I didn't tell him any tasks to do. He, like the structure that we have, like we have like a weekly meeting. Like he set that up. You know, like I just, I just knew he was a great guy, and I just got the fuck out of his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing amazing work, and he's he's already like paid for himself like multiple times mm-hmm. over uh, in terms of like getting um, don- don- arranging like donations from companies and stuff. So anyway, the advice is if you can, uh, you know, find someone who is like the nice thing about having you know open source contributors is that you will if you want to throw money in someone's direction. You'll have like a pool of people who have already demonstrated their abilities to you, um, and you can just basically reward them for it. Yeah, reward's not the right word; it sounds condescending,
0: but you get the idea. Yeah. It's like it's like a mm-hmm. private job board where you get samples of work um, in the domain that you're that you care about, sort of.
1: Yeah, and it's a little exploitative, like if you were a for-profit company. Mm-hmm. But if you're providing a product that everyone's getting for free,
0: then it's a right. different
1: story. yeah yeah
0: Yeah, i think on the note of like the hybrid model uh and alan was kind of touching on this earlier like is it ethical to ask somebody to contribute something if it's for for for-profit thing and they're not getting paid um and i think like there's a way to make i'm I'm curious about how that system works because i think there's a way to like uh, segregate those two halves of the project where it's like this is the open part people contribute we get a sample of people um, and then there's like this private thing that's used to fund the project or something. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. To, uh, like, uh, in the way that I kind of sometimes do, I'm trying to find the way of minimizing the, like, there's trade-offs of doing it one way or the other, and I'm trying to find a way to minimize all the trade-offs as if there's a perfect solution. I'm trying to search for it, even though it's trade-offs. <laughs> yeah. <but.
1: laughs> well, wait, wait, quick question: um, Are you aware of a source hut? No. No. Okay, so that's a good model to consider. Uh, it's run by uh, internet person Drew DeVault, who I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of opinions about. But that's not the point. Um, the point is, it's uh, it's an interesting model because it's not exactly going to fit yours. But anyway, let me let me skip to the point. Point is, it's a continuous integration uh, infrastructure, and there's a public website um, where you can pay. I don't know, $2 a month or something. And then you get to have like CI builds and Git or Mercurial and issues and stuff like that. Um, But it's open source.
0: Hmm.
1: But so you can just run your own instance for free because it's open source. Um, But then the, like the official instance provided by uh, Drew and maintained by Drew is uh, charges money for the service. So this works because it's, software as a service, um, I don't think that directly applies to Dion, as far as mm-hmm. I understand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you are looking for a hybrid model, this is a really good Interesting. one. And I think that Drew has found, uh, the, he actually publishes the money numbers. Um, and you can you can find his blog post on that. And I think that it's working quite hmm. well for him. Interesting. So, but the trick there though, right, is that they're providing something for free and then they're doing the work of running it for you I don't know how you would apply that. Like that, I'm just saying this is an example where it works really yeah. cleanly. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to give people software, they're going to run as their IDE, it seems like a little trickier to yeah. to pull off.
2: Well, I mean, I think the, yeah, I, the the thing I, I I was I don't exactly want to turn the podcast into let's brainstorm the Dion model. <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> exactly, but like the um, the the main thing that i think is important to us is whatever we do in terms of if we do sell anything at all there are certain parts of it making like a fundamental tool like a language or in the case of dion the format on which you would build a language where you can't control that i think ethically like even if it was successful whether or not that would take on isn't the point i think like the fundamental Substrate on which certain things are built shouldn't be controlled by, should, shouldn't be out of the control of other people. Even if, even if, you know, uh, an open source community goes crazy and takes uh, a thing in a bad direction, because it's open source, that means that somebody else can take the same thing and rescue it and take it in a different direction. There's always a way to, um, if it's not controlled and closed, keep something working if it is really important to a critical piece of infrastructure that it ends up inside of and i think something like a language if it catches on and is proprietary is actually kind of a bad situation to create so we definitely don't want to put certain parts of our work into a closed source ecosystem under any circumstances and so there is kind of a question like is there a way to fund this by making one really great tool and a couple of open source ones and without the money from this make corrupting the way this is maintained right. um, or not and if there's not then we have to think about what that means for how we do the project and if there is that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best for us anyway but yeah try, thanks for like going through a lot of that stuff yeah. because i've never yeah, really sure. thought about how to fund anything on a serious in a serious way and it's, I think yeah.
1: it's yeah it's it's a tricky problem but I think that if you just start caring about it you'll start to notice things that work and things that don't mm-hmm. like I mean that's true for me like I didn't give a flying fuck about this stuff before I like wanted to quit my day job and then all of a sudden like I'm looking at your patreon critically and I'm like looking at all this <laughs> stuff and it's like okay I'm seeing the patterns now Interesting. you know mm-hmm. I'm just saying I think you'll I think you'll get it do you want like I, I thought of one more I know you, you said for you sure. didn't want to brainstorm <laughs> for but sure. for sure there is there is one more idea um I don't know how effective this is, but basically you make your license GPL, which like is just f- first people can just use the editor to do whatever they want. But if they wanted to edit the code, they'd have to keep their contributions GPL, which is restrictive. So if a company, basically you just make it like users don't care, but companies would have to pay by fucking mm-hmm. with the license. That's the, that's oh, the whole see. idea. There's, and there's examples of, of projects I could uh, I link you to that, that pull this off. Actually, I'll just name one. Uh, Ardur, the music studio. Mm -hmm. I think they're doing just fine. Last I checked. Cool. Anyway, sorry, just throw that in your your brainstorm box. Yep.
0: Cool. Um, So I don't know if that's going to be... I'll do another round of is there anything else that we want to (laughs) hit? Well, I, I just wanted to say that uh, I I think you're
1: two bright guys, and uh, I I think that you're coming at it with a, like an open mind, with some humility, and I, it seems like you're on the right track to making this thing work. And I'm excited
0: to see what you come awesome. up with. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I'll I'll leave it to uh, to Andrew. Uh, is there anything any any uh, th- this is the part where I guess we're wrapping up. So I, I always leave the the guest with like a uh i mean alan's a guest too but he's been on before and we we've heard from him at the last so um uh but i always leave the guest with like what's what are you working on what's coming next like what what are you thinking about that kind of that kind of question i don't know how to phrase it you get what it is though um yeah nice okay well which
1: one (laughs) okay Hmm. all right
0: you know what i'll i'll i'll
1: i'll think about my target audience here on the uh podcast that just came out um for handmade Seattle, I mentioned that I had a white whale, which was um a a Linux binary that works on any Linux distribution, doesn't matter which one it is, and it's a game and you can open it up and it pops up a window and does graphics. Nice.
0: Mm-hmm. I did nice.
1: I solved it. And I just it's just this is brand new. I have like a Twitter post or whatever, but um I didn't do the write-up yet. So the thing you can look out for if I I have a lot to do, but if I get it done, it would be uh, a, a very fascinating write-up on the many problems I had to solve in order to make this work. It's it's pretty fascinating. Awesome. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Awesome. But that's that's the number one thing that people complain about about making games yeah. for Linux, yeah. right? Yeah. I solved that's it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I
0: I I think I, is this one of those like spider webs that you you were talking about? This is one of the things where you go, like this is one of the depth-first touches. And then somebody else is going to come drill down, at some point.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. Oh, so real quick, for example, I did it for X eleven, but not Wayland. Right. So that would be like one of mm-hmm. the, you know, I, I, the proof of concept is done. It doesn't, but it doesn't work for Wayland. But someone who knows Wayland could just come in and go, oh yeah, here's how you do Vulkan plus Wayland.
0: Patch done. I, I I think I saw. So I definitely saw this, and I saw this is like a rat hole this isn't like a good podcast ending note but i'm just curious since we're here talking about (laughs) it like i think i think it was martin's of course it was martin's because he knows everything but he he mentioned he was like yeah but wayland servers like respond to x11 like it were it just works oh yeah okay so i i was just curious if like that's not true if you ran into problems with that uh, there's like an X eleven question, and but anyways. No, I, I have
1: a quick. I have a quick answer. Uh, the quick answer is it will work if there's no bugs in the Wayland server, but there are bugs sometimes, and I also see. it will be more efficient if you don't force it to go through the you know, it, like basically Wayland is emulating the X protocol, so if you just don't make it do that, then it's like less layers you're I see. going through. Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
0: Cool. Yeah. In theory, it should work though. And th- it's always in theory, right? <laughs> awesome, well, uh, th- thanks again for joining me, uh, Alan, who's been on, uh, and then uh, thanks for mm-hmm. coming on for the first time, Andrew. Hopefully you'll come back on at some point. I'm trying to do more like repeat guests.
1: Well, yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, and it's been a uh, pleasure. Yeah. I'm so sorry for briefly forgetting your name, Alan, and that was <laughs> a derpy no thing problem. of me to do.
0: Awesome, cool. Uh, I guess, uh, I-, I never know how to end this, so I'll just say for, I'll edit this part out, Um. (laughs) take it easy everybody (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Handmade Network podcast you can join us in making software by hand by going to handmade.network you can also email in questions or topics for the podcast to podcast at handmade.network hope to see you next time